Amen. Can we have the lights, please? As we open our Bibles, uh, let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 10. And as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 10, we find ourselves, or we will find ourselves reading on the battle between Israel and the Ammonites and Syrians. And we think to ourselves, why is this so important? I want you to understand that this chapter is really setting the stage for David's great sin with Bathsheba. You know, what we're going to have here is we're going we're to see how the enemies of David, they're just relentless, they don't stop. These enemies, they continue to just battle against David. And I think this is a reminder for each and every one of us that as believers, we're going to be faced with opposition, we're going to have battles until the day we die. But no one thing is that you and I in the end will have victory over all of our enemies because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And that we can be assured of. But as we look at this battle, you know, as we see this battle in chapter 10, we're going to see that David actually participates in this battle. But we're going to see next week as we're going to talk about the enemies that are coming after him. We're going to see that next week that the enemy or that David doesn't go out to battle against the enemy. Instead, what does he do? He stays back and he commits the great sin with Bathsheba. And so what we have here is we just have just a, a setting, a, uh, just setting the stage for us to, to look at what happens next week when, when, when David just decides not to battle. But as we look at this, right, as we, as we read this chapter, it's not really talking about the battles, but it's really going to talk to us about appropriate counsel. Okay, I want to share that with you. We're going to be talking about appropriate counsel, and that's the title of today's message, Appropriate Counsel. And by counsel, I'm talking about the advice that we receive from people. Are we looking for sound biblical advice or are we looking for worldly advice? Some of us may not even know what the difference between biblical advice and worldly advice is, but today we're going to be taught on this. Today we're going to learn about this so that you and I can see that the biblical counsel that we receive is going to be prosperous and fruitful and while the other counsel that we receive from the world will always bring heartache and pain into our lives. And so with that, let's go ahead and read 2 Samuel chapter 10 and, and see what the Lord has for us. And we'll read it all and then we'll go verse by verse and, and allow the Lord to speak to us. It says here in verse 1 of this chapter, It happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died and Hanan, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, their lord, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Therefore Hanan took David's servants shaved off half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle, 
at their buttocks and sent them away. When they told David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed and the king said, wait at Jericho until the, your beards have grown and then return. And when the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, that the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers and from king of Mecca, 1,000 men and from Ishtob, 12,000 men. And now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men and the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth, Rehob, Ishtob and Mecca were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in His sight. And so Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. Then Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobak, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel and David killed 700 charioteers, 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Shobach, the commander of their army, who died there. And when all the kings who were servants to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. You know, what we have here is we have to this counsel that was given to the son of the king that was deceased. And as they received this counsel, we see that they gave them bad advice. And in their bad advice, they were destroyed by, by Israel. And the people of Ammon never, or the, or the Syrians never helped Ammon again. You know, we see a lot of war. We see battle going on here. But really, what's important about all of this is really the counsel. And I believe this is what God wants to speak to us on today. Because He wants us to receive proper counsel. He wants us to receive good advice. He wants us to know that when He speaks to us, because He doesn't want us going into places and doing things that are only going to bring destruction and pain into our lives. And so this is what the Spirit of God has led me to speak to you on. But before we go there, I want to go verse by verse and explain to you what's going on here. In verse 1 it says this, It happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died and Hanan his son reigned in his place. You know what we have here is we have the king of Ammon, he dies. And his, his name, the name of the king was Nahash, according to First Chronicles chapter 19 verse 1. 
And his son now became king, succeeding his father. And so verse 2 tells us that, Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servant to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. So what we have here is that King David, he finds out, he finds out that the king has died. And what's so amazing about this is that the writer gives us enough details to know that the king of Ammon had done something special. He had done something special towards David. He showed him kindness. And one thing that we see here is that David never forgot it. Understand this, that this act of kindness, that this king, this non-believing king, what he did in David's life impacted David so much that he needed to share it with his son. He needed to reveal this to his son. And, and that's what you have here. See, when I looked at this act of kindness, you know, today I, I was at the pastor's conference there at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and, and I had my notes here on an act of kindness. I had my notes here as to wanting to speak to all of us about the acts of kindness that we have been called to, be, to do as, as a people of God. See, what we have here is a non-believer that is showing acts of kindness to a believer and this believer has been impacted so much that he goes out of his way to pay respects to the father or to the son of, to the, son of, of the father that was deceased. You know, as I was at the pastor's conference today, they were reminding us of, of the lack of love that the church has shown. And I truly believe that this is the case. Not all churches, but I'm talking about many of the church people. There are so many people in this world that are hating one another. We see that, right? You see that on television. You see that in the news. But what's so sad about all of this is that you also have the people of God that are hating on others. And who are the others that I'm talking about? I'm talking about Muslims. I'm talking about refugees. I'm talking about gay people. I'm talking about people of races. And understand this is that these people are sinners just like we were, right? Or just like we are. And yet what we do is we neglect to show acts of kindness because we say, you know what, we, we can't associate, we can't talk to them. And I want you to understand this is that we have been called by Jesus Christ to love one another. Remember He says, I reign on the just and on the unjust. I shine on the, on the saved and on the unsaved. In other words, you know what? I love you all the same. But yet we as a people of God, we become haters of certain peoples, haven't we? And guess what? Can we ever win these people to the Lord if we continue to hate? Believe me, we can never win any of these people to the Lord when we continue to hate. Whether it be race, whether it be, you know what, uh, nationality, whether it be the, the gay community. You know, none of them want to come into the church, right? 
Why don't they want to come into the church of Christ? Into the Christian church because they believe that we all hate them. And yet, we say that we love one another and we say that we want to win people to Christ. But yet, what are we doing as a church? See, we have a great opportunity to win people to Christ, especially today. Because there is so much hate in this world. And yet, we aren't doing what we've been called to do by Christ. See, we are to show acts of kindness. Just like this king, King Nahash, has shown to, to David. It impacted him so much that, you know what, that he went out of his way to go into the enemy's territory. See, you and I, I want you to understand that when we show acts of kindness to people, it has a long-lasting effect on their lives. It truly does. It, 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 it just transforms them. I, I mean, it just transforms, transforms their mind regarding you. And when you show these acts of kindness towards people, they really want to know who you are, right? They go out of their way to, to get to know you and, and most of all, to know who it is that you represent. See, when we think about this, right, if, if people see the Jesus of love and grace in us, then they're going to want the Jesus that is in us, right? But if they only see the hate in us, then are they going to want the Jesus that is in us? See, we have a lot of work to do, right? And I'm not talking to anyone individually here, or maybe there are some of you that are doing this, but... I just want to remind everybody that we are to show acts of kindness if we are expected to, to love on these people and to win them to Christ. You know, there is so much hate going on in this world. And there's no way that we can win these people to Christ. As we see here, David was so impacted by this act of kindness that this king gave to him that he never forgot it. And that is what we've been called to do with the Muslims, with the homosexuals. You know, I was reminded of one thing is that, you know, and how true this is, but, but it's something that I just want to throw out there too, to, let, to, to have you ponder this and to really think about this. Remember when, during the Jesus movement, remember it was the hippies, right? And people were rejecting the hippies. Why? Because they were just... You know what? They wanted nothing to do with anybody. They were rebellious. All they wanted to do was smoke pot. They didn't want to be a part of this world. They were the outcasts. Look at the homosexuals today. They're the outcasts. Look at the Muslims today. They're the outcasts. You know what? In this world, right? In, in the U.S., right? You know what? Muslims, they're crazy, radicals. Don't go around them. How are you going to win them to Christ? God died for them too. The homosexuals, the same thing. We are called to love and to show these acts of kindness that will bring them to repentance, that will bring them to the Lord. See, how many people have shown you an act of kindness? And you never forgot it. That you go out of your way to be around them, to, to do things for them, to get to know them. 
Think about that. See, isn't this why Jesus came and revealed himself? See, Jesus, when he came, he showed what? He showed kindness and love to us, right? Even when we should not receive it. Even, be, even as sinners, right? He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to come and reveal this to us. But he wanted to, right? When we look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and I'm going to quote from the NIV translation. It says this, or do, you not, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. This is the example that we have. The perfect act of kindness, the perfect act of goodness towards us led us to repentance. And that is what we are to do with those that are rejected, with those that are sinners. To those that, that are rejected in our world today, right? We are to show acts of kindness. And as we show these acts of kindness, it reveals really the God and the Jesus that is within us. And it leads them to repentance. It doesn't mean that we're going to accept their sin or, or compromise or overlook their sin. What to love on them. These people are looking for love. These people are rejected by the world today. They're rejected by society today. And where are they going? They're trying to be accepted. They're trying to find love and, and they go to the wrong places or they go to these places that, that is going to receive them, that is going to love on them and we lose them because we as a church have rejected them. You know, may this minister to you, may this to show you how, as we see here, the acts of kindness, how they worked so powerfully into bringing people into bringing people to Christ. You know, as we go back and as we continue to read here, we don't know really when the act of kindness from King Nahash, when he did this towards King David. We do know one thing, it was probably before David became king. For we know that David began to conquer the enemy. So we know that it was probably when David was in the wilderness, when he was running from King Saul. But one thing we see is that David, he was impacted so much by this act of kindness that he wanted to offer his condolence to bring comfort by the hand of his servants. And what exactly did they bring? You know, as we picture this, right? We could picture these two servants, right? These, or, or, you know what, we just know that they're servants. And we know that as he sent these servants, we don't know how many, but as they're going to the king and they're there with whatever he gave as gifts or whether he gave a, a special letter to honor their dad or we don't know exactly what he did but, but we know one thing is that he sent them to the servants of the new king I mean to, to King Hanan and then let's read in verse 3 what it says it says there and the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan their lord do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out and to overthrow it? You know, we have these princes here. We have these stewards, these individuals that were a part of the king's council. And we see that as the king, the new king, the son of King Nahash, King Nahum, Nahum, Hanum, 
you know, he goes to them and and they begin to tell David that, you know what, that these servants of David, they aren't here to be kind to you. What they're here to do is to spy out the city. They're here to search the city. They're here to overthrow the city. And so the king, which is a new king, a, a very fresh king, he takes their bad counsel. And so what does he do? Let's look at the next verses to see the bad, bad counsel. How he acts out with his counsel. Verse 4 says, Therefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle, at their buttocks, and sent them away. And when they told David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. And when the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth, Rehob, and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Mekah, 1,000 men, from Ishtob, 12,000 men. And now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Let's stop here. What we see here is really King David. I mean, King Nahum, Hanum. King Hanum, what he does is he humiliates the servants of David. He rejects the ambassadors. He rejects the offerings of honor and comfort. Basically, what he was doing is he was rejecting and insulting David. This was truly an act of hate towards David. Something that was contrary to what his son did, I mean, to what his father did, Towards David. And so what does David do? I mean, what does King, Han- uh, King Hanan do? What he does is he shaves off half of their beards. In other words, what he does is half of their beards is taken off and only half is left on. And I want you to understand one thing. To Jewish men, beards were not to be tampered with. When you look at Leviticus 19.27, it says, You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. So to tamper with a Jewish man's beard was a great insult. We know that today beards are fashionable, so we see more beards out there, right? Do you remember in the 80s, the mustache is what was fashionable, right? The big brush that you had. And then we know in the 90s and the 2000s, right, what was fashionable? We had the, the goatee, right? And now we come to the beards. Will half a beard ever be cool? I don't think so, but you never know, right? We never thought some of these things would be fashionable, but we'll see what happens in the future. But the insult didn't stop there. Guess what they decided to do? They decided to cut the garment in the middle at their buttocks. Imagine that. They're cutting the garment in the middle at their buttocks. So not only did they shave half of the beard, but these men that wore these garments, right, they had them cut all the way to their buttocks. So when they would walk, guess what they would see? Their buttocks. How humiliating, right? I mean, imagine you walking around and your buttocks are showing. 
I think you'd be very ashamed of that, right? You'd be like doing everything to, to cover them up. So for these men, imagine that. Imagine how shameful it would have been. They got half their face, their facial hair taken off, and then they're revealing their buttocks. And one thing about Jews, remember this, they dressed modestly. It was so shameful for these men that they said, we're not going back home. We're not going to Jerusalem. And so David, what David does is he says, you know what? Wait at Jericho. Wait until your beards grow. We know that clothes can easily be replaced. But when it came to the beard, they needed to spend time at Jericho until the beard grew. This was a great insult. Understand this. It was so insulting to the servants of David and mainly the servants who represented David that it was really a declaration of war. And the people of Ammon, understand this, they knew this. They knew how offensive they were to the servants of David. And in knowing this, in 1 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 6, it tells us that the people of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to the Syrians. They wanted to buy them. They wanted to have them as their ally because they knew that, you know what? What we've done to David, we know that we're going to be fighting against David. So they knew exactly what they were doing. And with money, they were buying the soldiers and the chariots to battle against David. And so when David hears about this, David prepares for war and David basically sends his commander of the army, Joab, and the mighty men. And so what happens next? Let's read verse 8. And it says this. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth, Rehob, Ishtob, and Mekah were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw that the middle... that the I'm sorry... When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. And then he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in His sight. So what we have here is the Ammonites prepare for battle. The Syrians go out in battle. And Israel goes out to battle against him under the commander, under Joab, the commander of the army. And so Joab says, I'll take care of the Syrians as he divides the army and he gives the half of the army to Abishai, his brother, and says, you take care of the Ammonites. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to attack and so will you. And if I see that they are too strong for you, then I will go and help you. And if you see that they are too strong for me, then come and help me. But what I love, what Joab says at the end, after he strategizes against the enemy, he says, be of good courage. Be strong for Israel and our cities and the Lord will do the rest. 
That's what he's basically saying, right? And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. See, I love this because see what this is telling me and what this is telling all of us is that what we do is we commit our very best unto the Lord and we leave the rest to the Lord. See, you and I are to commit our very best and the Lord will do the rest. See, this should be an inspiration for us, right? Because it's direction for all of us as to what we are to do. See, we can't always expect God to do everything, right? How many of us just sit back and say, Okay, God, I'm praying on this and I'm expecting you to do a miracle. I need this or I need that and yet you don't do anything on your part. Do you remember when Goliath came with the Philistines? And they wanted a battle against Israel? Everyone just stood back and they expected God to do something, right? They were afraid. They were walking without faith. But yet you had one man that said, you know what? I'm going to walk by faith and God is going to meet me there. See, this is exactly what's happening here. Joab is saying, you know what? Let's move forward and then we're going to allow God to meet us there and to do the rest. See, it's like the farmer, right, that that says, you know what, I know that rain is going to come, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go work the land and wait for the rain. That man is showing greater faith than the man that says, you know what, I'm just going to wait. The man that is saying, I know God's bringing the rain, so I'm going to move. The same with David. See, we are all instructed to do our part. It's an act of faith, knowing that God is going to meet us where we're at. And so this is what you have here. And so what, is, what happens thereafter? Let's read beginning in verse 13. It says this, So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians. And they fled before him. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. And then had a deezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobach, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. So Joab here, he goes to battle, right? And the Syrians flee. And when the Syrians fled, the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, and so... They also fled, right? And so you have Joab and Abishai really winning this battle, but it wasn't over. See, because when Joab returns to Jerusalem, the Syrians gather together to regroup and battle the Israelites once again. See, they went to their land to regroup. And Joab went to Jerusalem to get David. And the Ammonites, they fled. Okay? And so right now what we're just going to look at is the Syrians because next week we're going to look at the Ammonites. But the Syrians here, what happens is that they regroup. And let's read what, hap- what Israel does when they regroup. So verse 17 says, When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Shobach, 
the commander of their army who died there. And when all the kings who were servants to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. The Syrians served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. See, what you see have here is that David, at this moment, when Joab and Abishai returned to Jerusalem, David says, I am going with you guys to battle. I'm not going to stay back like he does next week that we're going to look at in the coming months. Because, I mean, for us, it's a week, but for them it was months. But David goes out to battle and you see that they have victory with David as their leader. They killed 700 charioteers, 40,000 horsemen, and they killed the commander. And the Syrians become what? The servants or the vassals to Israel. And I love how it closes in verse 19 that the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. Why? Because the Ammonites, you know what? The Ammonites took them into a battle that they lost. And why was this a losing battle for them? Because of the bad counsel that they followed. See, I want you to understand that negative or bad counsel in our lives, it will always create issues. It will always affect lives around us. Understand this, it will always destroy relationships. And understand, receiving bad counsel will always make a mess in your life. When you follow bad counsel, it will always make a mess in your life. It's happened to me where I've received bad counsel from people that I thought I could trust. And yet they led me astray. They got me off course. I was put on the shelf for about a year and a half because of the bad counsel I received. I wasn't able to effectively work in the ministry the way God had designed me to work because I followed bad counsel. See, this isn't the only time that bad counsel is recorded in the Bible. How many of us are familiar with Rehoboam, the son of King Solomon? Remember when he became king, and this is all in 1 Kings chapter 12. We're not going to be able to go through it as we don't have the time for it. You know, the people came complaining to, to the new king, the son of King Solomon, King Rehoboam. Rehoboam. And they told him, you know what, your father made our yoke heavy. Low, lighten our load. You know what, we, we, we worked hard for your dad and it's a heavy yoke that, that he, had, he put on us. And, and you know what, and we're going to serve you. Well, the king, what he does is, he goes to the elders and the elders give him good advice. But then he goes, To the young. He goes to his friends. And the counsel that they gave him was to basically tell them, you know what? I'm going to make your load harder. You guys are to follow the new king. You know what? That you guys are, are going to Follow me no matter what, and I'm going to break your backs if you don't follow me. 
And so what ends up happening here is that they rebel. And this is when the kingdom was divided. You have the northern and southern kingdom that have divided because this new king, King Rehoboam, he receives the counsel from his friends, from the young men. Instead of going with the experience, instead of going with the mature, he receives it from the young, inexperienced counselors. See, God, bad counsel brings lots of damage. Look at what Proverbs 19.20 states. It says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Proverbs 11 verse 4, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So I want you to know one thing, that counsel is a good thing. See, why do we need, why do we want counsel? I think as a people of God, we all want good counsel. And when we're faced with problems, when we're faced with issues, when we're faced with trials, I believe as Christians, we all want the counsel of the Lord, don't we? And so the Lord knows this, and so what He wants us to do is to receive proper counsel. See, you and I, before we came to know the Lord, I think we all know that we made wrong decisions and we had bad counsel and this really made a mess out of our lives that we were so broken that we needed Jesus Christ to save us, right? And we know we made these mistakes and as a people of God, we don't want to continue making these mistakes. And so we need counsel, right? When we're faced with issues, when we're faced with problems. Wouldn't it be so awesome if Jesus was still walking on earth where we could just go to Him and say, Jesus, what do I do in this situation? That would be the ideal, right? But, but that's not the case. We don't have Jesus in the flesh here walking on earth so we can go to Him and ask Him for the proper counsel. And so what we do is we seek His counsel, right? We seek counsel from the Lord. Why do we seek counsel from Him? Because we know that He has the answers of life. Remember Peter? Remember Peter when, when the Lord asked him, you know what? He asked them all, He says, are you guys going to go away like the rest are going away? Remember Jesus started saying some radical things, right? He says that if you drink my blood and, and eat my flesh, then, then guess what? Then, then you will be my disciples and I will give you life. Was Jesus literally saying to drink His blood and to eat His flesh? Absolutely not. What He was saying is that I am the source of life that you need. But the people misunderstood Him, right? And so they start departing. And so Jesus says, are you guys going to go away also? And look at how Peter responds. In John 6, 68, He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, you and I know that Jesus has the words of eternal life. And so this is why we seek His counsel. This is why we want to go to the great counselor. Because we need Him. And we want proper counsel. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to talk about counsel. The advice that we receive. I first want to talk about who we, not, who we are not to go to. And then I'm going to talk about who we are to go to. Right? Because this is what it's all about. It's about teaching us. It's about... Showing us and leading us 
as to what we are to do, right? I mean, we all are here to learn and to grow and to know what we are to do. And if I don't give you this, then shame on me for not guiding you and teaching you and directing you in the ways that you should go. So first of all, I want to talk about who we are not to go to. Understand this. Do not go to your family and your friends. Okay? Unless these families, this family and these family members or your friends are mature believers that you can trust, that have your best interests at hand. Okay? The second people that we are not to go to is we are not to go to the world. Do not go to the world for advice. Do not start looking at the television for Dr. Phil and and Oprah and all of them looking for counsel. They are only going to give you counsel that will destroy, that will lead you astray. Remember, they are not born again and they don't have the Spirit of God to give you wisdom from God. And we forget that, right? As a people, we forget that. Understand this, anybody that is not born again, that is not born again of the Spirit, cannot offer you the wisdom of God. All they can offer you is earthly wisdom, is worldly wisdom, is their emotional wisdom. So stop going to the people of this world for counsel. You know, earlier Eduardo reminded me of Psalm 1.1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is a man. There's a happiness. There's a joy. When you are not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly are the non-believers. They may be good, moral people, but yet if they're not saved, then they are not going to give you the right counsel. Because they don't have the wisdom of God. Even though they're good, even though in your eyes they've been moral people, they've been good people, understand this, they will never give you the wisdom of God. The third people that we don't go to is immature believers. Immature believers, believe me, they will mislead you. They are barely learning how to walk themselves. But yet when we, you know, we, we like to be with like-minded sometimes and we find a new believer and we say, okay, we're going to hold each other accountable and, and yet you go, get into a problem or there's an issue or a trial that comes into your life and you go to them for counsel. They don't even know what to do themselves. They haven't been tested. Their faith hasn't been tested. They haven't walked enough. They're still in their pampers and diapers. And yet we go to them for counsel. Be very careful with them. See, I went to people like that. And they led me astray. I want you also to know this. We are not to also come to ourselves. When we are faced with trials as new believers or as believers or trials or, or issues or problems, understand this is, is don't trust your own opinion. And I want you to know why. Why do I say this? It's because you are clouded with your problem. You can't think straight anymore. Because you are so, you know what? hurt by the problem or the trial or the issue that you're faced with. And so your your emotions are running crazy. And this is why the Scriptures tell us in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own emotions. Don't lean on your own understanding. 
But in all ways you acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. We all need counsel. Understand that. Every single one of us needs counsel. And so who is it that we are to go to? I'm going to talk about these quickly as we're running out of time. The first is you are to go to mature believers. That's who you go to. You go to mature believers. You go to pastors. You go to leaders in the church. You go to somebody that's been walking with the Lord for some time. Because understand this, their faith has been tested. They've gone through the trials. They've passed these trials. They've learned from their mistakes. They've walked with the Lord for some time. And, and so God places mature believers in your life. Seek them out. Even ask them before you seek their counsel, how long have you been walking with the Lord? Because some may appear to be mature believers, but they've only been walking with the Lord for two years. Ask them, how long have you been walking with the Lord? And if they tell you 20 years, and, and ask a man, how, have you gone through trials? I mean, you know what, how, how is it? And, and let them come out and speak to you before you start asking them advice, if you don't know them. Look at what Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eye, but he who heeds counsel is wise. You and I are to heed counsel with things. See, the mature believer will know how to comfort you. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As you can see there, we are to seek counsel, right? from the mature believer, those that have gone through the same trials, similar trials, those that have been tested and have gone through the fire, that have learned from their mistakes. The second place of counsel that we are to go to is we are to go to the Word of God. The Word of God has all the answers that we need. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Psalm 119, 105, many of us know this. The Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. See, the Word of God knows how to guide us in the direction that we need to go in. It gives us a proper counsel. When you need answers, you can go to the Word of God. You know what, and in case you don't know where these things are, if you search from people, you can ask them, what, what does God's Word say about this? Write down the Scriptures that they give you. Go home and look them up to make sure that this is truly the Word that you need. Read it. Allow it to comfort you. Trust in it. Believe in its promises. Hold on to that hope in the truth of God. Another thing that you can do now is, you know what, social media is is unbelievably available to us, isn't it? You know what? You can Google in the Word, or in the Internet, I should say, and say, what does God's Word say about this? And you know what? All kinds of scriptures come up. 
You can start reading those scriptures. Just don't rely on what you have there, but read them and make sure that these are the words that are bringing comfort to you. See, God's Word is so readily available for all of us like never before. We live in an age of technology that, is just, that can be used for the glory of God. The third source of counsel that we go to is the Holy Spirit. And believe me, the Holy Spirit speaks. You may not be hearing an audible voice. You may not be hearing a voice like mine that is speaking to you. But understand this, the Holy Spirit does speak and He speaks to your heart. He leaves an impression in your heart. And you are to follow it and not doubt it. And He will always align His counsel with the Word of God. If you find yourself doing something that is contrary to the Word of God, then that Word was not from the Holy Spirit. That Word was not from God. That Word was from your flesh or the enemy. I want to give you scriptures that show us how the Holy Spirit speaks. How the Holy Spirit speaks to us. See, if we believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to the New Testament church, we are a part of the New Testament church, right? And He will speak to us in the same manner. When you look at Acts chapter 8, verse 29, look at what it says. The Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. The Holy Spirit spoke. Acts chapter 11, verse 12, Then the Spirit told me to go with him, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Acts 13.2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Believe me, as I read this, I know without a doubt that the Holy Spirit speaks to us today. The third person of the triune God will speak loud and clear when you are asking for help, when you need direction, when you need guidance. He is there to speak to you. How many of you have heard the Holy Spirit speak to you when He is convicting you of your sin? He's there speaking, right? And we have that voice that is telling us, don't do it. Some of us don't listen, and we do it. It's the same thing when you need guidance and direction. Holy Spirit, God, speak to me. And the Holy Spirit will speak. He will show you the way to go. See, having the right counsel guides us and directs us. And God says, you know what? Seek counsel. Be wise. Because He knows that, you know what, we're going to be faced with issues in life. We're going to be faced with problems. We're going to be faced with trials. And we need counsel. So seek mature believers, your pastors, your leaders. You know, seek the Word of God. Seek the Holy Spirit. And don't go to the immature believers. Don't go to family and friends. Don't go to the world. Don't trust in your own emotions. Because they will only make a mess in your life. Just as we saw here with King Hanum, as well as with King Rehoboam. Believe me, after that counsel, they regret it. I've received bad counsel, I've listened to it, and I have truly regretted the counsel that I took. If I would have known these things, I would have done things differently. And this is why I'm here to teach you these things. I'm here to instruct you on these things. 
so that you don't make the same mistakes that I made. See, as a shepherd, I love you all. And I want the very best for you. With that, let us close. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for talking to us on appropriate counsel, Lord. We thank you for speaking to us on the counsel that we need. We saw the example of bad counsel and the mess it made out of things. It does the same in our life. Lord, I pray that as you spoke to us today that we would take heed to these words. That we would remember these things that were spoken, Lord. For we are people that are faced with problems, with trials, with tribulation, with issues. And we need counsel. Your counsel. You have the words of eternal life. Where do we go? We follow you, Lord. If there's anyone here, if there's anyone here that maybe is in a situation that you need the help of God. And maybe your relationship with God isn't right. I'm going to make, give you an opportunity to make things right with God so that He can come and intervene and and do what He does best. Restore the things that we break. If there's anyone here that wants to say yes to the Lord, yes, I surrender my life to you. I need you in my life. I'm tired of all the mess that I'm making in my life. I want to commit or recommit my life to you. And if this is you, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else wanting this this evening? Anyone else? For those that have raised their hand, I'm going to pray for you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for these that need to make things right with you. Lord, they need you to help them. They need you to be the God of their lives. For they've trusted other things but you. Lord, we thank you for their humility. We thank you for their love for you. And we thank you for your grace that will accept them. Love them and pour your blessings upon them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, I want to pray for the rest of us. I pray that for us that are faced with problems, that are going through trials right now, and that are seeking direction and seeking you, I pray now that you would just guide them and direct them in the ways that they should go. That you would be the lamp unto their feet and the light unto their path. That you would guide them by your word, by your Holy Spirit. That you would use other believers to comfort them and to show them, Lord, how they are to walk, where they are are to go. But the source is you, Lord. It's no one else but you. And I pray that you would show yourself strong. That your power, Lord, would be revealed to them. That they would know that you are alive. 
and that you so dearly love them and want the very best for them. Help them to endure. Help them to persevere. Help them to seek you, the kingdom of God, your righteousness. And we know that you will do the rest. Lord, have mercy, pour out your grace upon them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.